This episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by Learning Ally, publisher of the Learning Ally Audiobook Solution. Learning Ally has received a distinguished SIIA Cody Award for Best Learning Recovery Tool in 2022 and was recognized as a Best Virtual Learning Solution finalist by the FAST Company World Changing Ideas Award in 2021 and by Tech and Learning as a winner for Remote Learning Solutions. Why are they receiving all these awards? Well, in part because the Human Read Audiobook Solution is proven to double the rate of reading growth for students and provides an equitable way to bridge students to grade-level learning. You can find Learning Ally at edcuration.com. I get asked the question sometimes, do I wish I wasn't born with a difference or do I wish it could have been different for me when I was growing up? And... I realize I've evolved over time. I wouldn't be doing the work that I do if not for my experience growing up. And maybe that is what I was meant to do. And I wouldn't change it because I love what I do and I love seeing the impact. And I've accepted my differences and who I am. And it it took me a long time. It is a journey and it continues to be a journey, but I, I'm okay with it. And seeing the impact that we have every day and 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 helping these kids to come out of their shells and find their own voices themselves, which which is what happened to me. Our guest today, Dina Zuckerberg, was born with craniofacial differences and the experience of living with a physical difference that is visible, sometimes painful and limiting, has ended up defining her life's work and purpose. As an adult, she works to provide a unique and valuable opportunity to teachers and their students, which you'll hear about in this episode. But first, Dina has overcome a long list of physical challenges that I wanted you to know about. I was born with a cleft lip, and for those that don't know, it's a separation of the lip on the top. Uh, So it was a unilateral cleft lip. And so on one side, uh, which was repaired when I was a few months old, I was also born with a hearing loss in both ears. So I hear nothing on my right and we're hearing aid in my left ear. And then I was also born with a small left eye. And so I wear painted contact to look like the right eye and I actually have no vision in my left eye. But I... It's never stopped me from doing anything I've ever wanted to do in my life. I can drive, I can ski, I can ride a bicycle, I can play the piano. Uh, And so I had six surgeries growing up from when I was a few months old into my adult years. I had years of orthodontics and speech therapy uh, when I was a child. As I'm sure you can imagine, the physical aspects of Dina's differences presented only the first level of challenge. Because I looked different and had differences, kids would tease and make fun of me growing up. And so I, uh, they were stared. I was excluded. So I'd be sitting alone in the lunchroom or on the school bus. And I, I remember those moments. Those moments have stayed with me even today. Dina is far from alone in this. In the United States alone, there is a baby born every hour with a craniofacial difference. 
Cleft lip and or palate is the most common, with one in 700 babies being born with this abnormality. In addition, around 100,000 individuals are disfigured each year, either from accident or disease. While these numbers don't indicate a prolific population, it's also not as rare as you might think. So it's common enough that these individuals are likely represented in the majority of school districts across the country, but rare enough that these individuals are likely the only ones in their school, which is a really unfortunate balance. Craniofacial differences occur for a wide variety of reasons and require an equal variety of supports and interventions. It's not uncommon to hear that I'm the only one in my community who had a facial difference or the only one in my school. Having a craniofacial difference is really just how the bones are structured in the face. So they could be absent or not in the right place. It can also affect uh, a child's breathing. So they may need a trach in their neck to help them breathe because the airway isn't wide enough. Or uh, they may need, their ears are not fully developed. So they may need to wear a bone anchored hearing aid that sits on the head like a headband. Or they may need a G-tube to help them eat, or they may need help with their speech. So it, I think it's not just how the bones are structured in the face, but it can affect so much more than that. And for a lot of these conditions, we don't necessarily know what causes it. As an adult, Dina is able to look back on all of the staring, pointing, isolation, and painful comments she endured growing up and understand that they didn't usually come from a place of cruelty. It's just that kids had never seen someone who looked like her, and they hadn't been properly instructed in how to respond. But it felt like cruelty. Years of unrelenting cruelty. However, Dina is one of those inspiring individuals who uses her hardships to turn her focus outward. She works with My Face, a nonprofit organization that's been around for 70 years with the mission of providing holistic, comprehensive care, education, and resources for both children and adults with craniofacial differences. My Face has four pillars of support, one of which is the Wonder Project, a resource for schools. And this is Dina's work. The Wonder Project is inspired by the award-winning book, Wonder, written by R.J. Palacio and published in 2012. The book continues to be extremely popular in elementary and middle school classrooms. It won awards for several years following the publication. And in 2017, it was made into a movie starring Jacob Tremblay, Owen Wilson, and Julia Roberts. Most teachers, I think, are probably familiar with the book by R.J. Palacio. The author, and, and I listened to you interview her on your podcast, was a little surprised by the success of this book because of the fact that this is not a super common um, thing that you encounter in the world. Like A lot of people probably don't even know anyone with a craniofacial difference, um, but it it had a lot of success. And so in your opinion, what do you think accounts for the worldwide success of this book and the reason why people resonate with it so deeply? I think because having any kind of difference is not typically talked about or thought about. And I think it just resonates so much with so many kids because honestly, we all have differences and we all, I think in some ways, 
especially in the middle school years, find it really challenging to be in school. I'll never forget years ago going into a school, even before we started the Wonder Project, and there was this one student who had come to one presentation and then asked to come back. And it was basically we had a panel of people, myself included, who had craniofacial differences. And she came back and she raised her hand and she tearfully said, I had a pimple on my face and that was my whole world. And I I thought that my life was over because I had this one pimple on my face and then meeting you guys, it sort of changed the whole perspective. But I think it resonates because I think we all kind of experience that insecurity and that at one time or another when we were in school or that sense of wanting to fit in and be like the other kids in whatever way that means for them. And if I'm not mistaken, my face was actually able to consult and provide an avenue of research for the author as she was writing the book, right? Right. So she uh, spoke to people in the craniofacial community. She met some of the doctors and the staff at the My Face Center at the time. And she, what's interesting is she didn't have a child of her own with a craniofacial difference. And she, it all was based on one encounter she had at an ice cream parlor where she and her younger son were sitting next to a mother and little girl who had treated Collins syndrome like Augie in the book Mm -hmm. and how she reacted. And she basically left the scene. She fled the scene without interacting with the mother and child. And she'll say even today, that's one of her biggest regrets. She didn't do that. And so it was all based on that one encounter where she said, you know what? I need to tell a story and I need to do this. And like you said, she never imagined that it would do as well as it has. So it's 15 million copies sold, translated into 56 languages now, I think. So and students are reading it everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And since the publication, you've established, the the MyFace organization has established an ongoing partnership through the Wonder Project. Tell our listeners exactly what is the Wonder Project and the mission of the Wonder Project. So the Wonder Project is an anti-bullying program educating students in schools across the country on the importance of celebrating uniqueness, being an upstander, and always choosing to be kind. So those are the sort of main key points of the presentation. And students uh, develop and launch their very own acts of kindness and and do that at home, at school, in their community if they choose to. And so we launch with a virtual assembly, now sometimes in person, to uh, have the students hear the personal stories of those with facial differences and learn about respect for others. And the aim of the program is to move students towards creating positive change in the world and to celebrate the uniqueness of others. And we tie it with the book Wonder, especially if they are reading the book or have read the book. How did this all come about? When the book came out in 2012, uh, a parent of a child with a craniofacial difference that I knew actually said, you need to read this book. And I read it practically in one sitting. And I resonated with it right from the first page. My executive director at the time also read it. And we talked about how we could create a curriculum guide to go with the book. And we started working on that and created a a guide. 
And then we st- I started getting invited to come into schools to present. And, and then we created a whole program around doing that. And then when the movie came out in 2017, that was the year that it kind of just blew up. And I, that was the year I did 70 in-person school presentations because it just, it became a real movement. I think that was sort of the piece that really catapulted it. I love seeing the impact that we're having on the students. It's just, and I love doing it. I think it's so important to educate kids, especially at a young age, to introduce them to these differences. Mm-hmm is I think important because then it becomes no big deal. It's just one part of who somebody is. Mm -hmm. And that person is so much more than their physical difference. It's impossible to measure the rippling impacts of a great story captured in a book. Today's sponsor is all about making those impactful, sometimes life-changing stories available to every student of every age and ability level, regardless of obstacles. This is Dr. Terry Noland, Vice President of Educator Initiatives at Learning Ally. We have a big vision, and that is to smash the literacy divide in our country. We are doing that with our award-winning audiobook solution that bridges students to grade-level access, but more importantly, grade-level learning. We have professional learning solutions and an educator community that focuses on the person. I hope you'll join us in this march in this mission to see every student gain access to literacy. Open the door to life-changing stories for every student with Learning Ally. You can find them and access their free pilot at edcuration.com. What age groups do you primarily work with in schools? So the primary age group is, I would say, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. I have, we've done presentations for as young as kindergarten and as old as uh, high school students. Okay. But I would say it's primarily fourth, fifth, sixth, even seventh grade, but uh, is the primary age group. Okay. And um, which is kind of the, the reading level of the book as well. And the format is that you launch with this assembly, which can be in person or virtual with you. And I think maybe some of your colleagues. Yeah. They speak to the kids. Do you tell your stories and then talk them through how they're going to launch their projects? And then the teachers have the curriculum guide that you created to help them um, facilitate those experiences, right? Yeah. So it's a teacher coordinator packet they get and other materials. Uh, We partnered with Random House Children's Books. So they also provided us with some materials. So we send that to the schools ahead of time and they can use that with the students so it has everything from uh, morning announcements to activities they can do uh, a page where they can put down all the big and small ways that they'll choose kindness and it has even a couple of the kids stories of kids with facial differences and and although the book and my face and the book both um, focus specifically on craniofacial differences. In many ways, the Wonder Project is all about supporting students with differences of all kinds. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's not just about facial differences. It's about all differences. And we always make sure to 
share that in the presentation that we give. And what I love is how they make the connections to that. It allows them also to share their own stories that they may not have the opportunity to, or they may not even feel comfortable doing it. It allows them to even be seen and to share as well. It's interesting because my son, he was bullied a bit in upper elementary school and in middle school um, because his hands, his, his one hand is different and his, his feet, he only has three bone rays in one foot and four in the other. And kids were curious, right? And they would tease. And the bullying was addressed in the school, but I don't, I asked him just the other night if any of his teachers all through school ever gave him the opportunity to talk about, you know, how he was born with his hand that way and, and the surgeries that he'd had and, you know, just explain to the kids why his hand is the way it is. And um, he, he, he said, no, he'd never been invited to share any of that. It was always just, don't look at it. Don't talk about it. It's rude to notice it. It's rude to address it. And how much healthier it is to just say, yeah, let's, let's have Levi talk about that. Let's have him share, you know, why his hand is the way it is. Um, so freeing, I think for kids on both sides, the side, you know, of the kid who's being, who's curious and the side of the kid who has the abnormality. In what ways does, does the work of the Wonder Project help and equip students to overcome the psychosocial challenges that come with their differences and um, really differences of all kinds? But there's a particular challenge, I think, when it's a facial difference, because it's what we see first. Yeah, so I think what has been amazing to me is as how we present to the students and how they connected to their own lives. So they really are making those connections. So for example, a few years ago, I spoke to a group of students at a school. And when I talked about my hearing aid and I showed my hearing aid, one boy raised his hand. He was so excited. And he said, I have double hearing aids. And I, he had never met anybody who had a hearing aid like he did, especially younger. And I, it was right when RJ Palacio came out with Wearable Wonders, which is the picture book so that she came out with. And I had it with me. And he asked at the end if he could read it with to the students or with the students. And I remember he was sitting at his desk and they were all surrounding him. And he was just beaming and so excited. And the other students were so accepting and welcoming of it. I love witnessing when a child can share something and that they have the opportunity to come out of their shell or that they have, they can, they don't have to hide it anymore. What I always say is that there's power in the share story and knowing you're not alone. And when kids and adults have that opportunity to share their own experience and somebody says, I can totally relate. I've been there. That's happened to me. Mm-hmm. It, it, it bonds people and it, and makes it more accepting. Can you share about some of the kindness challenges that you've seen kids in school groups do? Yeah. So one of my favorites, so I went to a school recently and they had the kids create shells and with messages on them. So they found the shells, they they painted them with messages. So the one they gave me, it says, to the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. And what they did is they called it shelling out kindness. And they put the shells out into the community for people to find. And then they could then re- 
put it out into the community and create their own shelves. So I love that. I've been to schools where they create their own precepts and then they put it on the wall. One school I went to quite a few years ago, which I loved, is they imagined what Augie looked like. And they, for an art project, they drew out a portrait of Augie. Schools have come up with incredibly amazing ways to do their acts of kindness. Have you heard feedback from teachers about um, the culture in their school or classroom shifting around their own students who have differences of, of any kind? Yes. I've had teachers reach out to me afterwards and say that a student sat with this kid who had a difference or that or they chose to play with them at recess and they have a buddy bench and they, you know, sit on the buddy bench with the with other kids and that they notice the shift in and how the kids were responding. I do think it happens over time. It certainly doesn't happen overnight. And my hope is that we're impacting even if we impact even just a few kids at a time, we're making a difference. And I do believe in some ways, there'll always be some degree of bullying and the people that bully and the people that are bullied. But if you can take the kids who and turn the, the, that are witnessing it and turn them into upstanders, I think there's a better chance of helping that child. I know I wish I had more upstanders in my life when I was growing up, but I really do think it would have made a difference. I love that terminology, bystanders versus upstanders. And I think just having from t- taught for years and years in classrooms and and I still teach um sometimes it's it's easier to be mean but I think that our hearts really want to be kind I I, we just have to be given permission and we have to have the courage to be that upstander and be kind and so I can imagine that the programming that you're providing gives kids that that sort of permission and voice and courage one of the questions that I sometimes get is, and I understand this, is if I stand up for somebody, will I run the risk of then being picked on because I stood up for somebody? And how do I handle that? And it's a great question because I think question. it's really challenging. And what I, and I, and I struggle with this question for a long time. Well, because the answer is yes. You always Absolutely. Yes. But I struggle with, because I, I can understand that feeling, but I said to them, if your friends or whoever turn against you because you stood up for somebody, then maybe they were never really your friends in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I said, the person that you stood up for will remember that for the rest of your life. And so will you. And you'll feel good about it in the end, but it may be hard in the moment. Yeah. I love that. And those acts of kindness, as you said, they're not forgotten. No, I still remember those moments. They're never forgotten years and years later. So Dina, I'm wondering if you would be able, if you would be willing Uh to share just personally how doing this work impacts you as you have to go, as, as it requires you to go into school after school after school where there are students who haven't seen a facial difference like yours before and you're having to respond again and again and again to their reactions. And I'm wondering, have you 
been able to evolve in your life from seeing this as just a continual wearying challenge that you'll always have to face as you're out and about in the world? Do you now see it as an opportunity to educate and challenge people's assumptions? Or is it just a combination of the two, depending on how your day's going? I I think I've evolved so much since starting this program. I think if you told me 10 years ago, I'd be going out into schools, I, I would have said, you're crazy. That would never happen. I, I could never do that because I was the child, even young adult who was shy, quiet, didn't want to talk about my difference when I was younger. I wanted to fit in, all of that. And so when I started doing this and started to share my story, it was so empowering for me. I mean, if I could do this all the time, I would. I mean, there's one story that I always love of uh, presenting at a school a few years ago and and I was talking about wishing I had more upstanders in my life. And this boy tearfully raised his hand and said that just the week before he had witnessed uh, another kid picking on on another kid, bullying another kid and how he didn't do anything and how he wished he had. And after hearing my story, how he would stand up for somebody else. If I can just impact just even a few kids at one school, I feel like I've done something right. I want every child to be able to find their own voice. Who in a school typically reaches out to you to arrange programs? Is it a teacher? Is does it is the principal? Any combination? So I would say it's typically the principal and the school counselors. Ooh. Every once in a while, it will be a teacher, and I guess the teachers do it, especially if they're reading the book Wonder. How do they learn about you? So it is a referral, word of mouth. I go to one school in the district. They hear, they they love it. They then talk to other schools in the district, and then they reach out. So it's a lot of it's happening that way. Well, and you're obviously very passionate, but there's only one of you. <laughs> so do you have uh, multiple presenters? Are your bookings yes. limited based on availability of your presenters? So we currently have five presenters, but we are in the process of now really wanting to grow it for next year and really reach more schools. And it keeps getting pointed out to me that I am only one person. And as much as I love this, I can't do them all. (laughs) And as much as I uh, wish I could, I know I can't. So we are in the process of really growing that for next year. I, I guess virtually you're able to work nationwide, but do you also work in person nationwide? Do you travel to visit different yes. across country? So before the pandemic hit, I was doing some traveling, mostly on the East Coast. They were all in person. What's been interesting is when the pandemic hit, we realized that we could do them virtually. I, we had no choice, actually. And so I think what will be in the future is sort of a combination. So some schools will remain virtual uh, so that we can reach them. And then some schools we will travel to. The virtual option does give you such a broader reach. Absolutely. I mean, this year we've already done, uh, uh, will before the end of the year, do close to 70 schools. And that opportunity only came because we could do a lot of them virtually as well. 
Dina, do you have a favorite success story from your work with schools? I get so many incredible letters from the students afterwards. How I'm going to be an upstander and how I'm going to sit with somebody and how I'm going to be a friend to somebody when they handwrite them and how courageous and brave we are to come to the school and stand up and share our stories. Well, thank you so much for the courageous work that you're doing advocating for our students with with differences who need an upstander. Just wanted to say that since starting the program, we have reached over 60,000 students across the country. If you'd like to contact Dina and The Wonder Project about presenting at your school or organization, you'll find links in the episode notes. Or you can go to edcuration.com, search The Wonder Project, and click the Let's Talk button. And if you're inspired to bring more powerful stories to more kids, you can reach out to today's sponsor, Learning Ally, in the same way. Maria Arcodia, a teacher from Brooklyn, New York, said, The greatest difference with Learning Ally in our students, aside from their scores improving, is the social-emotional learning piece. Their self-confidence grew at a rate that we wouldn't be able to manipulate in the classroom. Access Learning Ally's free pilot by visiting their page at edcuration.com and clicking the Let's Talk button. You've been listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories about the educational movements, resources, tools, and practices that are reshaping learning. If you'd like to share a topic or resource with our audience, reach out to us at edcuration.com. With Anti-Bullying Month coming up in October, we hope you'll take a moment to like, rate, review, and share this episode. And please join us again next week to reshape learning with the Ed Curation Podcast. Mm-hmm.